Patrons to the Tent Talks podcast have access to hours and hours of extra material, teachings, Bible studies, lectures, discussions, music, interviews. Patrons also have access to our monthly live meetups, where fellow travelers meet online every month to have conversation with each other, to meet the hosts of the show, and also to talk with any special guests that might show up. On the 24th of April, our special guest is Brad Jerzak, who is no stranger to fans of Tent Talks. Brad will be talking about his upcoming tent series on deconstruction, and will be on hand to have any discussion or answer any questions that listeners might have. If you'd like to meet Brad, or indeed any of our special guests in the next few months, then you too could become a patron. Just go to patreon.com and look for Tent Theology to support us and our work and to help us continue to make this podcast. And who knows, you might even meet some great people along the way. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Stephen here. Welcome to the Tent Talks podcast. Our current series is on love. I've learnt over the last few years, if I needed learning it, that this is a hard and cruel world. But one of the things I've really noticed is how personal views of power, how personal attempts to hold on to power, lead to really hard and cruel institutions. We don't know how to love. Rather than look at all the bad things that we do over and over again to each other in organized and personal ways, I wanted to look at how to love. How can we find ways to make our power better for others? How can we find ways to personally pay attention to our neighbor, to consider others better than ourselves, to love our enemies, to do any of these things that the world desperately needs? We have to learn how to love. So with that in mind, I've been seeking the views of people whose words or actions I admire, who I see as examples of love in this age. So hi everyone, I'm Dr. Claire Backhouse, I'm a nutritional therapist and my company is Transformation Nutrition. So what else are you Claire? (laughs) I'm also married to a certain Dr. Stephen Backhouse to whom I'm with whom I'm sitting right now. Yeah set the scene, where where are we right now? (laughs) So listeners 
you here at Stephen from his shed, which is at the end of our garden. And I'm sitting here in Stephen's office shed, surrounded by his books and his comic books. Where I do the recording. Where he does the recording. But you've never been on the podcast before. And also, I've never done an in-person interview before. <laughs> so that's why the sound might sound a bit funny, because we were trying to both talk into the same mic. So we'll see if this works. Yeah. But it's welcome to the shed. It's very nice to have you in the Tent Talks environment. This is so exciting. So the reason why uh, I... Well, there's a couple of reasons why I brought you here. One is that I think this was your idea. The whole series to do a love series was your idea because you said, why don't you focus on something good and positive and that makes your heart happy? And so we thought, okay, let's do love. So that was fun. <laughs> so thank you very much for that idea. But the, uh, the other reason is that you are a, a nutritional therapist who is doing some work on love. Yeah. And you do writing on love and research on the connection between nutrition and body systems and love. So I thought, this is a perfect guest to have on. And then, of course, the third reason is that I actually love you. <laughs> so how could we do a series on love without talking to the one person in the world I love the most? So this will be really fun. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. So how did you get into nutrition and nutritional therapy? You didn't grow up thinking you were going to be a nutritionist. So where did this come from? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I grew up thinking I would be a journalist or a teacher or work in a museum and I ended up being a historian. I focused on art history in the 17th century. And that's what your doctorate's in? That's what my doctorate's in. And then I, two things happened. My father had a very severe stroke and yeah, within a way I kind of lost the father I originally had. And I also became quite ill not long after that two things happen. One, I went to see a nutritionist myself to see if I could, that would help me get better. And it did. And the more I researched the mechanisms that were causing me to get better, the more I realized this is absolutely my passion and what I want to focus on. And the other thing that happened was as I was looking back on my father's life and having to sort out his papers and so on, I was thinking, what do I want to leave behind me? And I realised that much as I enjoy and appreciate and value history, I think it's super important, I realised that for me, what mattered more was leaving behind me people who were healthier and more full of joy and love and peace than when I found them. So yeah, that prompted the change from history into nutrition. Can we maybe start by talking about nutritional therapy? What is it uh, and how do you do it? Yes, definitely. Nutritional therapy is an approach where you, you're you looking to heal people by focusing on them as a person, not the um, disease, but them as a person. And you're in the functional medicine model in which I've been trained, you're always looking at what are the unique characteristics of this person? Mm. What's their family history? What's the environment that's impacting them? How is their diet affecting their health and all of that sort of thing? And you're looking at what are their strengths and where can we help them get stronger? In the UK, if you go to see your GP, you would make an appointment and you would generally see a GP for about 10 or 15 minutes. And on the whole, the approach would be 
what's the problem? What are your symptoms? What is the disease? And what's the appropriate medication to treat that disease? Yeah. Now, I absolutely wouldn't set myself up against the mainstream medicine. I see myself as a a person involved in complementary medicine, which means that I'm alongside that regime rather than against it. Mm. But the difference is that nutritionists would focus on the person and not the disease. Mm -hmm. We are trained never to treat the disease, but to treat the person. And I spend generally an hour with my clients every time. A typical and, GP is 15 minutes, is that right? Or yeah, and I'm sure minutes. that most GPs would love to be able to spend an hour with yeah. their patients. But yeah, the way that it works is I'm reading people's pre-consultation forms as well before mm-hmm. we meet. So that gives me a really good idea of their family history, how that might have affected them. We call it wow. biochemical individuality or uniqueness that everybody's got. There's no such thing as one treatment that works yeah. for everybody. Yeah because we're, we all have absolutely <laughs> different influences, environments, habits, yeah, lifestyles, yeah. relationships, and that all goes into what our health is like. Right. So new, I take all of that into consideration when I talk to my clients. So you often refer to lifestyle med- medicine or practice as well, and that's what you mean by this, when you talk about nutrition and lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Lifestyle medicine has become more and more... Uh, widely accepted and it's the view that it's not just a question of one sickness causing a problem Mm. if you have a lack of sleep Mm -hmm. that will be making everything worse Mm -hmm. or if you have certain toxic substances coming into your life that will make everything worse Mm. or if you lack relationships for example it's just the understanding Mm. that our health is based on all sorts of influences and if some of them are present that shouldn't be or lacking that should be present, then that will have a negative effect. Okay. So let's talk about love. Where does love come in and why, why were you started to be interested in the phenomenon of love in relationship to nutrition and lifestyle medicine? Well, I suppose I was thinking about my work as a Christian, trying to think about what it really means to look after my clients well. Mm-hmm. And I was struck that in mainstream media, there's a lot of fear surrounding health. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of, you know, if you don't do X, then Y will happen to you or things like that. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of obligation, a sense of, oh, well, I must do this. I really ought to be waking up at five in the morning and jumping into a cold bath and running a marathon before every single day. And just a sense of, uh, yes, uh, either rules or fear or both going Mm -hmm. on. And I thought, I just don't think that helps people. Either of those things ever help people. And I was also thinking about how healing, the way I see it, and getting well is always connected with love. It's the the best kind of health is rooted in the security that comes from love rather than anxiety or okay. obligation. And I suppose I was trying to think through how I see my clients as well. I don't want to see them as clusters of problems to fix. Mm-hmm. I believe that each of my clients is made in the image of God with inherent 
beauty and strength and loveliness mm-hmm. woven into the core of their being. So I don't want to look at them as, as though, you know, well, if they just do this, then everything would be fine. I want to see, okay, what are their strengths? What's going well? Where can we support them so that they get better? And I, what I love is that our bodies are made to recover. Mm. I love that our bodies always tend towards healing. If you cut yourself, the wound heals given the right conditions. You know, if you reset a bone correctly, it heals sometimes stronger than it was before. And I love that about that this is the world we live in. And I definitely, that's connected with how I follow Jesus. And I believe that the Lord Jesus is full of love for all his creation. And all of creation is made to run on love. So... I feel as though it's almost like it's a it's a flow that we need to go with. Yeah. So that's how I try to think about my work as a nutritionist, to see it as a form of nurturing perhaps, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, in a professional way. But also to have real reverence for each and every human being mm. that comes through my virtual door. And to see them as loved creations who are in the process of becoming well. Yeah. And I think that's a very, I think there's also a lovely hope that's woven into this kind of work, which I think is actually present in the functional medicine model, which sort of hope angled in the sense of assuming that the body is set up ready to heal and it just needs some support to be able to heal better. Yeah. Or it needs wisdom to be able to sort of untangle things where they've got tangled up and then it can heal. So there's a, a lovely assumption of the body's healing capacity within functional medicine. But as a Christian, I, f- I feel as though it's a, it's part of my privilege to be able to participate in love in that way of encouraging right. healing. I mean, so like here we're talking about love as in your approach to your patients, your clients. Do you call them patients or clients? What do you call them? <laughs> <laughs> I call them clients. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about love as the approach to people. and But what about the sort of, I don't even know what I'm asking, the, the physiognomy of love, the chemistry of love, like what's happening within the body systems? I mean, we could even make it personal, right? So I love you. <laughs> so what's happening in my systems, my digestive system, my hormone <laughs> system, my nervous system? Like what, what happens when I feel love for you is there like can you give us some idea of what's happening inside the body or how it's regulating itself in connection to love okay let's try (laughs) oh it's so challenging to connect intellectual things with things so close to your heart (laughs) well and also when you're talking to a moron like me (laughs) no it's the opposite explain love to to a to an imbecile (laughs) that's not true it's the opposite (laughs) oh it's just really i just just a comment on um this series i noticed that all of your amazing guests on the love series really slowed down when you said what is love right and there's something so strangely challenging about talking about love it should be easy it's what we all care about we all want love and want to love and we want to be loving well and all of this it's quite challenging to be able to 
to be able to articulate it. And I suppose everything that connects with your deepest beliefs and, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to articulate. Anyway, yeah. in terms of nutrition and in terms of how the body works, when we show love to people, mm. and especially when we're affectionate, when we're, for example, hugging children or we're mm. her, just showing affection to each other, mm -hmm. oxytocin is released, which is a very calming and binding hormone neurotransmitter. Okay. But there's also, it really calms down your nervous system. So when you feel loved and secure, everything in your body is likely to calm down. Hmm. Like there might be sort of joy and excitement, but your body is going to feel at peace. And lots of people listening to this will have heard of the fight or flight mechanism where the nervous system switches into what we call sympathetic mode and the body closes down the digestive system, closes down the reproductive system. I say closes down, you know, reduces right. blood flow to to these different systems because they're not important when you're in high stress right. and running right. away from dangerous things. Mm -hmm. Or, for example, doing something scary, giving a talk in front of lots of people. Sitting in the shed on a podcast. <laughs> Sitting in the shed on a podcast. <laughs> but, but when you're really, when you're at rest and you're feeling secure, what we call the parasympathetic yeah. mode of the nervous system, then blood is flowing to your digestive system. You are able, your, even your vision slightly changes. You can see more, your peripheral vision is actually a little better when you're not stressed, when you're feeling at ease mm -hmm. and, and you're feeling in a situation where you're being loved, where you're loving and being loved. And I think that's something to bear in mind that you know, perhaps our best work is done when we're loved. And I'm sure, I know that there's, there's research about children who go to school who have got you new know, difficult backgrounds at home and it's harder to concentrate and so on. Mm. That's not my special area. But yes, there absolutely is. We operate better when we can come back to that set point hmm. of security and feeling loved and only go into the stress mode when needed. Yes, we need to be in stress mode sometimes. Sometimes we need to, uh, like often we need to have a healthy stress response, mm. but being able to come back to that calm place, the parasympathetic system where where your body is just able to do its housekeeping, yeah. its, its normal day-to-day -day work easily and peacefully. If you're experiencing aggression or fear or you know lack of love, that would impact how your nervous system is. Yeah. And over time, that can impact, for example, immunity. There's been research to show that autoimmune conditions are linked strongly to adverse childhood experiences where love has been severely lacking or misapplied. Yeah. Can you talk us through that a bit? That's really interesting. How is... Yeah, how do how does the hormones released during in love or connected to love affect immunity? When you're if you're highly stressed and you're sort of on the go go go, mm. your body, as I said before, it's just sort of closing down the. Okay. It's reducing blood blood right. flow to your digestive right. system because you're in a state of high anxiety. So your body thinks we're only going to concentrate on staying alive right now. Yeah, or we're not running. Concentrate, yeah, yeah, on running or fighting. We're not going to concentrate on 
any of the other systems that a body needs in order to survive in the long term. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a more of a short termist kind of yeah. thing. And that's not itself bad. I think we often think of these things as dangerous or bad. They're not. They just need to not last forever. Yes. But I think if we're obviously lots of things can make us stressed, but I think most of us would recognize that feeling that our core relationships aren't going well or that we're not loved, that would be a source of considerable stress. Yeah. So I think when you're, if your body is not sending sufficient blood to its digestive system, this is just one, I mean, there are so many different angles to this, but yeah. one of them is that if you know, there's less blood going to your digestive system, your digestive system is working on the whole less well. You're not digesting your food as well. You're more likely to have, your body's less likely to be able to recognize the proteins that you're eating successfully. Right you're more likely to have sort of symptoms like acid reflux or bloating, like those kinds of discomfort that then you might start taking medications for, mm -hmm. which have their own side effects. There's also the impact of just getting what's commonly called a leaky gut or intestinal permeability. That can happen when you're, when you're just continual stress hmm is impacting you, the um, the efficiency of your body's sort of almost up upkeep of the lining of your gut. And if your body's not keeping up the lining of your gut successfully, mm. and if it's easily getting inflamed or becoming leaky, that, it, that can cause autoimmunity because you've got particles leaking out from your right. gut into your bloodstream and your body's saying, what on earth is this? I yeah. must fight it. Yeah. And that can cause extra inflammation in the body. And I've heard you talk about serotonin and dopamine. What's what's happening there? Those are also hormones connected to, to the feelings of love. And I don't understand what they are. I couldn't tell you the difference between a serotonin and a dopamine. <laughs> this is because you're a theologian. Yes. Um, I wasted my life on the wrong subject. <laughs> I think... What can I say about serotonin and dopamine? Well, serotonin is, it's a neurotransmitter associated with feelings of contentment and happiness mm. and kind of a calm ability to get on with life in a sort of cheerful manner. And dopamine would be the neurotransmitter we associate with get up and go, motivation, the thing that encourages us to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. So... Those two neurotransmitters are for sure stirred up when we're in love or loving people mm -hmm. and they're important. But it's interestingly, nutrition can play a part in those. So, for example, if you were lacking in vitamin B12 or folate, which work together in the methylation cycle, which kind of methylation is a process that sort of finances or... It's uh, it's important for lots of different processes in the body, and one of them right. is neurotransmitters, the whole nervous system, really. But if your if your methylation system isn't adequately financing, for want of a better word, your uh, neurotransmitters, you might find yourself having a less good production of dopamine, or which might cause you to feel less motivated, or you might have less serotonin, so that you're more likely to feel, say, discontented. Now, that might be 
So if, for example, you're eating a diet that's um, very low in animal products, if you're not taking a, a supplementary B12, you might find yourself having less energy for certain things. You might find that's impacting your neurotransmitters. So nutrition can connect with how you're able to relate to people and how well you're able to love. Yeah. But the thing that I love is that the more that we know, the better we can love. And I think one of your one of your previous guests made a point about this. I really it was really relevant. He was talking I love that he was kept talking Thomas Ord. I, was it is it yeah, is it Jay Ord? Thomas J. Ord. Thomas J. Ord, okay. He he was I loved his uh, emphasis on well-being, of course, um, but he said something about if, if say, somebody buys flowers for somebody yeah. and it's all very well, but if they're allergic to those particular flowers, then it doesn't feel like love to the recipient. And knowledge helps you to love better. Mm. Mm. So one of the things that I love about what I do is that it just helps people to love themselves and others better mm -hmm. through knowing how they work. I mean, this is a question that I've been asking people and it's sort of the theme of this series as well, like how to love. Is there any other thoughts you have about how nutrition or awareness of the body systems can, can help us answer that question of how to love? There are so many things I could say. <laughs> I mean, we live, our listeners, my listeners are, we, we live in a high anxiety, high stress world, lots of conflict, uh, lots of polarized debates, lots of disappointment about movements or institutions that we used to think were good and haven't proven themselves to be. And that's causing a lot of high, I imagine lots of people live under a state of high anxiety. Yeah. And, and it's not that hard to notice that the world seems to be fueled by that. So, I mean, what would you say to that? What would you say to listeners living in that state? Is there anything that nutrition can do yeah. to help us navigate that world? Yes. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the things I say to my clients quite often is we can't always tell how much of say, say, say I have an anxiety, a, a client who comes in with anxiety or hmm. stressed about a lot of tangible things in their life. We might not be able to tell how much of their feeling of anxiety is linked to those events or their emotions or even their past, but we can tackle at least in part the physiological things that might make it worse. For example, I think a lot of us, without really noticing it, eat more sugar when we're stressed. Right. And that's a completely understandable thing to do because when the body is in that fight or flight sympathetic nervous system mode yeah we look for quick sugar because yeah, right. if you imagine you know people always it's the cliche is if you're running from a tiger if you're running from a tiger and you need extra yeah extra you know if you, you your body thinks well i must get as much quick fuel as i can and we know that the sugar provides quick fuel and so we tend when we're stressed to, to reach for stuff that's going to give us very quick hits to help us get yeah, through right. tough things yeah but of course, as everyone knows, you get a, a slump afterwards. And on top of that, the process of having blood sugar highs and blood sugar slumps is actually very inflammatory. And that can, that inflammation can also trigger its own anxiety. In, so when, when you're, if your brain is 
you know, registering inf- inflammation mm-hmm. that will feel on the whole like it's anxiety or depression. So you can give yourself a sort of a chemically worse experience of anxiety right. by eating a lot of sugar when you're anxious, if that makes sense. Right. So there's sort of... So the short-term fit, quick fix actually leads to a more entrenched problem yeah. that it was trying to solve. Yeah, exactly. And so I love to help clients to work out ways of eating and, you know, a key obvious one that all my clients are familiar with is eating sufficient protein at their mealtimes. Right. When you're eating sufficient protein, you're less likely to crave sugar. When you eat sufficient healthy fats, you're less likely to crave sugar. So fueling yourself carefully may potentially help you to crave sugar less Mm -hmm. and therefore make you're you're less likely to make your own anxiety worse. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things like that that are, there are just practical ways to help people who are dealing with big things feel more able to deal with them. And I suppose there are other things like magnesium we know gets used up really fast when you're stressed. It also gets used up really fast when you're eating a lot of sugary foods because it's required to help process that sugar. So when people Hmm. either take magnesium or you take Epsom salt baths, I almost all my clients get (laughs) told to take Epsom salt baths if they possibly can, because they're a great way to absorb magnesium across the skin and they're calming. And they also help people to calm down at the end of a stressful day, sort of make a buffer time. But magnesium is a cofactor in many, many, many processes in the body. And without it, you know, we're likely to feel perhaps more achy or more tired or more stressed. So there is just certain ways in which nutrition can come in and just, well, what I love to do is just to see where are the gaps in this person's need? If they're having a tough time, if they're anxious, what can we do so that they're not battling extra physical things that they don't need to, Mm. so that they've got the physical strength to help them deal with everything else that they're dealing with. And that is a great joy. I love to do that. I mean, is there anything else that you want to add that I haven't covered? Or is there any other thing to do with love that you want to, <laughs> that you want to say? Oh, I think, oh, there are so many things to say, but perhaps it would be to be patient with yourself and patient with others. I think I've been st- thinking a lot lately about the famous verse, love is patient, love is kind. And we're, in the last few years, all of us have had so much opportunity to (laughs) practice extra patience and kindness. We've needed it more than ever. And we need it for ourselves. We need it for those around us. And I think we need it in health as well. I think all, some healing is instantaneous and miraculous. Mm -hmm. Other healing is gentle and slow and it takes time. And I think that having patience with oneself and trust that there's a God who made us and loves us and wants to lead us in a healing path, that changes a lot. So Claire, is if anybody's interested in you or your work, where would you send them? I would send them to my website, which is transformationnutrition.org. And there you can see my blog, which has got lots of articles and a few audio messages and you can also sign up to to receive that if you'd like to 
You can also send me a message. I'd love to hear from people. Anything. Just just write in and say hello through my website. And yeah, watch this space. I'm in the middle of writing a book called Nutrition with Love. So. Ah, so we'll have to have you back when that's finally ready to be <laughs> That would be lovely. <laughs> well, thank you, Claire, for coming to the tent. Thank you for being in my shed. And I, I hope we'll see you again soon. <laughs> I hope so too. I love you. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.